We're reading this morning from Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 to 18. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest then Moses said to him if your presence does not go with us do not send us up from here how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth and the Lord said to Moses I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name then Moses said now show me your glory Lord we thank you for your word and we ask that you will make it real to us this morning we pray for Jim as he comes and shares what you've laid on his heart we ask it in the name of Jesus Amen Amen thank you good morning it's great to be back with you. I wonder, would it be possible just to encourage the worship group and just thank them for leading us? I thought it was really great, guys. Just so good not to rush and just to be led into God's presence, isn't it? Well, so much has changed since we were last here. Not least, you've got this wonderful new building. And, you know, it's sometimes important to remember, with all the challenges of life, that God is good, and his faithful love endures forever. We've also been through some challenges as well as some joys since we were last with you. I've been through a period of burnout in ministry, which led to me stepping down from being the senior pastor over at Kosham. And uh, some of what I'm going to say today is kind of the fruit of that desert experience. But through it all, God has been good. And for us, the big thing that's changed for us is that after 12 years of trying and having turned 40 and almost given up hope, 18 months ago, 
Sarah gave birth to Molly. Yeah. They're all clapping you. You know, Molly means longed for child, and her middle name is Hope. So I don't know what you've been praying for. I don't know whether it's been 12 months or 12 years, but can I just encourage you not to give up hope? Let me pray. Lord, you're the one who said, ask and you'll receive. And so this is our prayer. We pray that by the power of your living word, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us now in a way that only you can, so that our very lives might be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any fans of the Netflix series, The Crown? The, the long-awaited series five is coming out soon with Imelda Staunton playing the Queen. But I don't know if you remember back to season one, and it opens with the death of the Queen's father, King George VI. He's a fascinating character, known as Bertie to his friends, a humble man, a family man, but a man with a calling on his life that he thought he'd avoided. Until his brother Edward VIII abdicated and suddenly Bertie found himself king of England. You know, they say that some are born great and others have greatness thrust upon them. Well, for Bertie, it was certainly the latter. Because the main necessity of a king, especially at a time of war, was to speak to the world on behalf of the nation. But he couldn't. He had a stammer. Well, today I want us to look at a person who also had a calling on his life that he thought he'd avoided. For Moses, too, the necessity of the task was to speak on God's behalf. But just like Bertie, Moses was crippled by fear because he, too, had a speech impediment. And I want us to look today at the three stages of Moses' life. Just three snapshots, three photographs of his Life, Because I want us to see the difference that God can make over the long haul. I'm not talking about the, the passion of a young Christian, which is so exciting, but so often fades as time goes on. But I'm talking about the slow burning sanctification that comes. When you choose to stick with God through the highs and the lows of life. In fact, when you allow the challenges of life to mold you, in other words, when you choose to hold on in the dark to what you knew to be true in the light. I'm not going to spend long on the early years. I'm sure you remember it well from Sunday school. Exodus opens and God's people have been slaved in Egypt for 400 years. A new pharaoh comes to power and he sees all these slaves by now about two million Hebrew slaves. And he gets a bit scared. What if they rise up against me? So he does something stupid. He does something weak as a leader. Pharaoh orders that all the newborn Hebrew boys be killed. But you know, God will not be mocked. And God's people cry out to him in their desperation. We don't know what to do, Lord. We've nowhere to turn. Help us. And God hears from heaven, and Moses is the answer. But not yet. We're told that his mother realizes that he's no ordinary child, 
Anyone, any mothers here think that their child is no ordinary child? You can take that both ways, can't you? But she realizes that God's anointing, even on a baby. And so she hides him in a basket in the bulrushes, floats him down the river, and he's found by Pharaoh's daughter and brought up as her own son. And so here is this young man, Moses, with all the privileges of a royal lifestyle, but he always knew that he didn't quite belong in the royal palace. That identity as one of the people of God kind of bubbled under the surface until one day at aged 40, he has a midlife moment. Ever had one of those? A crossroads moment, a decision, a choice, a moment of destiny. He sees a Hebrew fighting an Egyptian and he's got a choice. Who's he going to stand with? Who's he going to fight for? He chooses to protect the Hebrew. He thinks, great, God's people will recognize that I'm the chosen one and welcome me back. doesn't go like that. It all goes pear-shaped. The Egyptian dies, and now he's a murderer. He runs to his own camp, but they don't want him either, so he flees. He runs to the desert. It's a classic fight-and-flight reaction. Runs away. I can't handle this. I'm going to run. I'm going to hide. Next thing you know, you turn over the page, Exodus 3, and 40 years have gone by, just like that, in a page. And now Moses is 80 years old. This is the second snapshot. He's a fugitive. He's a murderer on the run. He's joined a sort of nomadic community called Midian. A bit like a Brit who's wanted for tax fraud and moves to the Costa del Sol. He's on the run. He's hiding. He's got a wife and kids by now. He's got a job. He's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. All thoughts of Egypt long gone. But what Moses had forgotten is that God is also a shepherd who never stops looking for his lost sheep. And it turns out that God still had a purpose for Moses at 80 years old. Shall I repeat that for some of the gray-haired among you? God still had a purpose for Moses at 80 years old. Again, you know the story well. He's minding his own business, tending his sheep. He sees a burning bush. He goes over to see it and he meets with God. Just at work. Just at work. He meets with God. Exodus 3 verse 5. Do not come any closer, God says. Take off your shoes for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. At this, Moses hid his face. Because he was afraid to look at God. He'd been hiding from God for 40 years. And God had found him. Verse 7, God says, I've seen the misery of my people. And I am concerned about their suffering. Does anyone need to hear God say that to you today? I've seen the misery of my people. And I'm concerned about your suffering. Verse 10, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to set my people free. He's asking Moses to go back, back to the place of his shame, back to the place of his pain, back to what he'd been running from all these years. And you know, when you do business with God, when you encounter God, yes, you'll know healing, you'll know forgiveness, you'll know joy, but also he'll put his finger on things that you thought were dealt with were actually just buried Things you've been running from, 
and hiding from. And he wants to take you there in order to bring true healing and fulfillment and restoration. But also he'll put a new calling on your life if you're not careful. And what Moses is about to learn is that God fulfills his purposes in the world in partnership with us. Moses didn't have a problem with God saying, I'm going to rescue my people from Egypt until he said, so now I'm go, I'm sending you to do it. Ah, that's not what I had in mind. And you know, God has a funny way of doing that. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring hope and, and help to, to this community. And we think, yes, go God. We'll pray that it's successful. We'll pray that the right minister comes to lead us. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm sending you. Ah, that's not what I had in mind. God says, I'm going to feed the hungry and, and help the poor. And we say, fantastic. Tell us where to send the check. And God says, no, no, no. You're going to be doing the feeding. God says, I'm going to bring reconciliation to your family. And we say, thank you, Lord. It's gone on too long. And God says, I'm going to send you to make the first move. Ah, that's a little too scary. And so with head in hands, Moses responds to God. Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Wow. Who am I? There's a question from the heart. There's a question with a history. Those three words just about summed Moses up. He'd been asking it his entire life. Abandoned at birth. Didn't fit in in the palace. Probably had a different skin color to the Egyptians. His own people rejected him. Didn't really fit in in Midian either. Who am I? He didn't have a clue. In chapter 2, he calls his son Gershom. Gershom means foreigner, stranger. Who am I? I'm a foreigner. I'm a failure. I'm an 80-year-old shepherd looking after someone else's sheep. And here is God asking him to go back to the crime scene and lead 2 million people 200 miles across a desert and conquer the most powerful ruler in the known world and capture a land full of giants and warriors, it's no surprise he doesn't jump for joy at the prospect. And as you turn into chapter 4, Moses comes up with every excuse under the sun. What if Pharaoh won't listen? What, what if the people won't come with me? I can't even speak, for goodness sake. And how easily we can be the same. An opportunity comes to step out of the comfort zone, to step into something new. And immediately we think of all the reasons why we can't do it. All the reasons why it won't work. Am I right? And we kind of bury our head in the sand, but that's not God's way. And in this next season as a church, your leaders are going to be asking you to step up. To step out of the comfort zone, to do things a little differently. And it will be so easy to be like Moses and, and say, I'm staying as I am, thank you very much. Ask someone else. And we forget, Jim had this word in the prayer meeting earlier. His power is made perfect in weakness. Do you realise that when, when we're all guns blazing and hands in the air, you know, we think, oh, I'm all God, good with God. It's when we're at our weakest that God works the best. That God shows himself most 
closely. In 1995, when I was 15, and I had a bit of a warped sense of curiosity, I snuck into the funeral of Reggie Cray in Chingford in East London. He's buried in the same graveyard as my dad. He's not my dad, by the way. But as a teenager, I thought this was so exciting to see this funeral. And, and let out of prison for one day was his twin brother, Reg. It was Ronnie who died and, and Reg was still alive. There he is. And he was let out of prison. He had one hand on a walking stick, the other hand handcuffed to a policeman. And I was so excited to see this gangster before whom the whole of East London cowered in abject fear. I remember being a bit disappointed. Him, that guy, that old codger in the walking stick, that's it, that can't be the Cray brother. I remember feeling a bit sorry for him actually and he died a little while after. Must have been a similar sight to this scared, stammering, 80-year-old shepherd hoping his murderous past wouldn't catch up with him. But you know, God knew that Moses' past didn't have to determine his future. And he knows yours doesn't either. Moses' past didn't have to determine his future. And he knows that yours doesn't either. So that's the middle phase of Moses' life. I want us to press fast forward one more time. Another 40 years. And we come to the end of Moses' life. We just had it read, Exodus 33. Now notice the difference. Verse 7. Moses would take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, calling it the tent of meeting. Verse 11. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And through hardship, through endurance, through endless tests of faith, Moses has become the man of God he was always meant to be. When God first speaks, chapter 3, he hides his head in his hands. Who who am I? He, He stutters. Now his relationship is personal and powerful. Imagine to talk to God face to face. As a man talks to his friend. Have you ever met someone who just seems so close to God? And when you do, you want to you kind of listen in to their prayer life. Well, we get to do it. We get to listen in to Moses' prayer life. And what does he ask God? Face to face. Three things. Number one, show me your ways. Show me your ways. That's faith. That's someone who knows what it means to say, we say it so coyly. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Would you pray that and mean it? Your will be done, not mine. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer with a health warning. Would you dare to pray, Lord, show me your ways and I'll follow. Show me how you like things to be done. I'm willing to sacrifice my ways in life and in in church in order to know your ways. That's a dangerous prayer. You know, sometimes people say to me, I didn't get much out of church today. You know, it wasn't really how I like it. And I try to be gracious usually, but if if I'm in a non-gracious mood, I might say, I'm sorry to break it to you. 
it wasn't for you. <laughs> it's meant to be for him. Try this. Instead of asking all that, you can ask this sometimes, but instead of always asking, how do I like to worship? Try asking, how does God like to be worshipped? Because that might take you in a completely different direction. But these are dangerous prayers. First request, show me your ways. Second request, show me your with me. Verse 15, then Moses says to the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Unless you go with me, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. There's a prayer. There's a prayer for you. You know, as I said before, in 2016, Sarah and I went through a difficult time and we stepped down from senior church leadership. It was a a big decision. No paycheck waiting at the end of the month. And we found ourselves saying, Lord, if, if you're in this, if you're in this, we're going to do it. But if you're not with us, we're not going. It's too hard. Moses is saying, Lord, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to face whatever enemies are ahead, will you be there? Will you be there, God? Because the alternative is unthinkable. David knew it. Psalm 22, quoted by Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the worst prayer you ever have to pray. The old hymn writer William Cowper knew it when he he wrote that hymn, Oh, for a closer walk with thee. Anyone remember that one? And that terrible last verse. Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What joyful hours I then enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void. This world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return. Sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sin that made thee mourn and drove me from thy breast. You ever felt like that? This is the prayer for you. Show me you're with me. Final request is the most powerful. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to do the thing you asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, now show me your glory. If your relationship with God is mundane and run of the mill these days, if you wander in and out of his presence lightly, if you tolerate sin easily, This is the prayer for you. Show me your glory. Now, of course, it's possible to go to an extreme where everything is just about the experience in worship and we're we're always just waiting for God to show up. But I wonder if the opposite is almost worse. Where we get into this routine where we're actually worshipping the Father, Son and Holy Scriptures. Where nothing supernatural ever happens like someone once said in the early church if the Holy Spirit left 95% of what happened would have stopped in the modern church if if the Holy Spirit left 95% would carry on ouch 
Moses says, show me your glory. I want to know you. This is a a request from the heart. You know, it's echoed by Paul in Ephesians 3. You remember where he says to the Ephesians, look, I want you to know about God, how long and wide and high and deep is his love. Yes, study the scriptures. Yes, know about God. But also I want you to know that love, which is beyond knowledge, so that you yourself will be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Show me your glory. I don't know about you, but sometimes I sense in myself a kind of reluctance, do you know? A holding back from being fully surrendered to him, giving over full control of my life to him. I still want to hold on a bit of control, you know, which goes beyond intellect. And releases you like that prodigal son to know the father's embrace. How easily we stand to the side. Like that elder brother in the father's house. Wearing the right clothes. But we're not bowed the knee. We're not in surrender. In fact in many ways we may be in rebellion. We need to come and bow the knee. And say, show me again your glory. As I start to come into land, the final proof of Moses' relationship with God is that they were on first name terms. Did you notice? Did you? Verse 17, I am pleased with you and I know you by name. You know, God knows you by name today. He knows everything about you. He knows what it's like to be you when no one else understands. You know, people say to you, well-meaning friends, oh, I know how you must be feeling. And you think, no, you don't. God says, I know. I know you. And I love you. But there's more. Verse 19, God says, I will declare to you my name, the Lord. The reason Moses kept asking, who am I? Is this because he's forgotten who God is? You know, you can't truly know who you are until you truly know who he is. You can't truly know that you're chosen until you really know the one who chooses you. You can't really know that you're loved until you get closer to the one who loves you. You can't really feel forgiven until you know the one who forgives you. You know, this is a significant moment in history. God had never told anyone his name before. Do you know that? What is his name? Well, in English, you normally see it written as Lord in capital letters. You may have heard it translated Yahweh. It's actually just four Hebrew letters. Yod, He, Va, He. What does it mean? Well, no one really knows. But the closest we get in English comes back in chapter 3, verse 14, when when God says this. God says, Moses said, who shall I say has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. I wonder what questions you've been asking lately to which God would reply, I am. Who's in this mess with me? I am. Who's patient enough to put up with me? I am. I don't know who's trustworthy anymore. I am. Nobody's listening to me. I am. 
Who's really leading this church? I am. My marriage is in trouble. I'm not sure we're going to make it. I am. My kids seem so distant. Who's looking out for them? I am. When people are against me, who's going to fight for me? I am. I'm not sure why I'm here. I am. What's the meaning of life? I am. Maybe write your own and put it on your mirror. I want to close with a true story. and It's from the Bishop of Manila who died a little while ago. We see his picture on the screen. And he used to tell this story, and I'm going to tell it to you now, okay? And he said, years ago in the great city of Manila, a huge cathedral, sitting on the steps of the cathedral, three boys used to sit and cause trouble. They would bunk off school and sit there smoking and terrorizing the passers-by. And, and they used to think up new ways of getting into trouble. And one day, one of the boys said to the other two, I dare one of you to go up into cathedral. Sit in the confession box and tell the priest the most disgusting sins you can possibly think up. One of his friends, a young lad called Rufino, he said, I'll go, I'll do it. So he climbed up the steps to cathedral. He, he pushed open the huge oak door. He walked down the front. He, he sat in the confession box and, and the priest came in and, and he started to tell the priest the most disgusting, vile sins that he could possibly think up, saying, I did this and I did that, and, and seeing how far he could go before getting kicked out. But the priest just sat in silence. And he kept going and kept going. The priest sat in silence. Eventually, he ran out of things to say. And then the priest said this. He said, what's your name, my son? He said, Rufino. He said, Rufino, what I want you to do is I want you to go back out of the cathedral. I want you to climb down the stairs and turn around and you'll see a huge crucifix hanging there. And I want you to point at that crucifix and I want you to say, I don't care. Well, Rufino burst out of the confession. He ran down the, the church. He, he threw open the doors, went down the stairs, almost knocked over his friends halfway down the steps. They said, did you do it? Did you do it? He said, yeah, I did it. What did he say? He said, well, he told me to do something. What did he tell you to do? Well, I'm going to do it now. So he turned around. Huge, great crucifix. He pointed and he said, I don't, I don't. Rufino fell to his knees. You see, he'd been brought up in the church. He'd heard the stories. And suddenly in that moment, it all clicked. And he pointed. He said, is it true, Jesus? Is it true? Did you do it for me? If it's true, then I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. The Bishop of Manila died a little while ago. And he used to tell that story. And, and after he'd told the story, he would say this. I know that story's true. Because that boy, Rufino was me. And so I'm here to remind you that we still have a God who is in the business of transforming lives. Amen? A God who's in the business of taking people whose lives are mundane, languishing, drifting through life and giving them an identity, a purpose, and a second chance. It was true for Moses, aged 80. It was true for Rufino, aged 15. And it can still be true for you and for me, even today.